Welcome back to another episode of the B2B Founder Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Trainer. Today, I welcome marketing guru, Diana Mitchell, to the podcast to discuss the current state of marketing for B2B startups and what founders should be doing today in the not-too-distant future. Diana is a strategic marketing consultant that has been working in this space for well over a decade. In this episode, we share why we believe the expectations of the B2B buyers have changed forever, and if you can't connect with your prospects where they are, you'll never be able to convert them to customers. We focus a lot of the discussion on content and content strategy, but also discuss a number of other growth-related marketing topics, and basically all things marketing. Diana also shares what it was like to be interviewed by the one and only Oprah Winfrey, not once, but twice. If you're a founder or a marketer for a B2B startup, this is an episode you don't want to miss. And as a reminder, if you listen to and enjoy this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite platform, and also feel free to recommend this to your friends and family. Thank you for listening, and now, on to the interview. Hey, good morning, Diana. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Brett. Happy to be here. It's great. I appreciate it. I know I had some, I didn't have the flexibility. You had the flexibility, some scheduling challenges. So I've been wanting to have this conversation a bit. So I appreciate your, your patience. Glad to have you today. We are going to talk all things marketing when why it's important to be to be founders. But before we do that, if you wouldn't mind just giving the audience a little bit of a background on you and, and what you're doing today. Sure. Well, I'm a, you could call me an outsourced digital marketing manager or consultant or whatever the title du jour is. I help companies that either can't afford to hire an entire marketing team or have a marketing director, but not someone to get down in the weeds to implement, design and implement digital strategy for them. Primarily B2B, some B2C as well. Okay. And would you say, you know, ahead of the times you were, you know, a fractional CMO before fractional CMOs were a thing, right? (laughs) That is correct. Yes. I thought for sure you're going to ask me about Oprah. And that sounds like I'm trying to drop Oprah in the conversation. And that's what I was expecting for some reason. That's just sad. Well, because you know me too well. That's why I was <laughs> going to go on there. But yeah, I mean, it's not often I can honestly say this is my first guest that's actually interviewed by by Oprah Winfrey. So congrats on that. Thank you. Experience, was it ex- what you expected with her or what? I, was- I didn't believe it would be intense leading up to it. Yes, and, and twice. Uh, oh, that's we, right. We and if that's not your claim to fame and every icebreaker that you ever use, shame on you because <laughs> yeah, there's that one. And then I was in a movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger. I put that in my LinkedIn profile because it's true. I could kill in uh, two truths and a lie. Yes, you would. Cause you would default to the third one, whatever you put that says, yeah, I'm going to be disappointed if your LinkedIn profile doesn't have both those. I know you're, you've got the They're Arnold there. Schwarzenegger. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining. And you know, we're, this is really, you know, I've had a number of episodes, obviously, during the pandemic since this has been going on. And what a lot of the guests I have on is more foundational. And we talk about principles of it. So whether you're in, you know, pandemic or not, how it's changing. But I think with marketing, you know, it is shifting. It's, you know, it's the new normal, which I hate that saying, but we're moving into something different. I think it's accelerating where we were going anyway. And now it just, I personally believe that the smaller agile, specifically B2B, have a real opportunity to get ahead of the game and, and beat their competition. So maybe to get started, you know, what is your perspective on the current state of B2B marketing? 
what are you hearing from folks you're working with? What are you seeing in the industries? You know, what's kind of the good and the bad? And then we'll get to what should people be doing? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's the, my first instinct when everything started to, gosh, for lack of a better word, when the world started to fall apart, I, you started to think back to 2008 and what happened then. And, and although so much is similar, obviously so much is different. And, and then we saw so many companies just like shut down marketing and they were like, that's it. Budgets that we're just not investing in that right now. And it's, noticeably, palpably different. Certainly, many organizations don't have as much money to spend. And that's understandable. But everyone understands the importance of investing now. I would say, not necessarily everyone, but across the board, generally speaking, people realize that now's the time to invest, not only for survival now, but from when we come out on the other side of this, and we will. And so there's a lot of questions, and you could almost say scrambling when people are trying to figure out how do I maximize what we have so that we can take advantage. And you know, you could see this on LinkedIn, especially. I, their performance and, and activity on LinkedIn has gone up double digits, I believe. I, I can't remember the last time I saw numbers, but certainly we can all anecdotally see that there's more people on the platform than ever. People are engaging in conversation. They're not just there. People want help and, and they wanna know, they wanna pick the brains of experts and they wanna know what they can do whether or not they still have their full budget or not. And so we're in a place now where people are at the edge of their seats and they want to know what to do and they just need someone to help them do it, whether it's by telling them and giving them direction or doing it for them. And certainly it's good for someone like me, um, but there's a lot of opportunity no matter where you are in your journey as a startup or what your budget and who you have on board to, to really take advantage. Again, not just to survive, but to thrive in the long run as well. Right. Yeah, and I think it's a good point with with 08 because I was actually, you know, been around since that, that time, but I was actually working for a company in a marketing, the marketing services division. And essentially what our what we did was sold lists for direct mail. Right. So this was just before digital was starting to take off. And in hindsight, I believe, you know, that crisis actually accelerated the digital marketing because it was lower cost, yeah. easier to reach. But what had happened was, you're right, every major brand basically stopped direct marketing and wait, wanted to, they're going to wait it out and see what happened. And yes. probably not the best of ideas. And you know, I think you're, you know, I'd love to get your perspective because what I'm seeing is kind of people that are holding up, just, I'm just going to wait this out and see what's over. Some unfortunately aren't going to make it, which they were probably on shaky ground to begin with. And then the third are investing and looking at those opportunities that are that are going to come because we were talking a little bit off air there are people buying now right i mean yeah, there's exactly. some industries that are definitely shattered there's no doubt about it but there's a number of them that are still growing and buying so you know is that kind of what you're seeing those those three camps and yeah yeah i would say fewer are like clutching the pearls afraid to do anything and okay. i would say and I don't want to generalize, but I would say that those who are tend to be those who have weathered the previous storm and they're afraid they think it's going to be the same. But you, I think you touched upon an important point, and that's that was largely pre-digital. There was email marketing, but even email marketing then was like the standard. Now you'd roll your eyes at the type of email marketing that we were doing in 2008. Now it's much more relational and providing value, and, and it's, it's a much more organic, fluid, trustworthy piece of the puzzle, whereas back then it was blasting people with ads. Again, yeah. generalization, but so to speak. And so I would say more are, are confident understanding, but they've either lost budget or, or they're, they're not quite sure what 
what message is the right way to go about it right now too. I think some people are still a little nervous about coming across whether it's, you know, insensitive. Yeah, exactly. Insensitive or too harsh or whatever the case may be. I mean, again, if you want to put get your finger on the pulse of business right now, go to LinkedIn and see what people are, can I say bitching? What people yeah, are bitching. Absolutely. You know, and people, so people don't want to be hard. They don't want the hard sell. They don't want the in-your-face sell and, and not trying to tie it in, but it works. This is where content can really come into play because you're, you're doing all of the legwork, you're answering problems, you're, you're building trust, you're doing all these things and you don't have to go in for the hard sell. By the time you're ready to come in for the sale, if you've done it right, then people are either open to the conversation or they're eagerly anticipating working with you. And so there's just so much opportunity versus where it was then. But, you know, again, there are back to the original point of your question. There are definitely people in that first camp. But my experience has been that it's primarily the the second and the third. They're either maybe trying to hold steady and they're treading water and they want to still do something or they have some resources and they want to just maximize what they, the output that they can get with those resources. Right. No. And, and to good point, I do want to dig into the content, but maybe first, I think, you know, one of the things, and I know we've had this conversation talking about, you know, screaming from the mountaintops for the enterprise in mid markets to, to do business differently. Right. So up until, February of this year, and I'd say the last 18 months prior that, you know, buyer preferences have been shifting, right? They, the way they were buying, they were, companies were still making buyers buy the way the company wanted them to buy. And it was starting to shift, but the buyers didn't have many other choices. So they were still going through the process the way we were. And so back then we were advocating, hey, change it up, align with the buyers, and that'll be a competitive advantage. Well, the pandemic's basically leveled the playing field for everybody. And you know, one of the things I'm seeing is, you know, some of the bigger companies are just kind of putting hacks in place to allow the customers to buy the only way they can digitally at the moment, right? Or communicate digitally. But they're planning on going right back to the way they were doing business, maybe some modified form. But yeah, this is why I get so excited for the startup world. And I think that's what the core of what we're going to talk about is the content, but then how to position, you know, to, to align with the modern buyer. Um, so anyway, I'd love to get your take on, on that before we get into the, the the content portion. Yeah, they're almost commoditizing themselves by resisting the, the desire on the buyer's half to build that relationship and build that trust. And, you know, to look at this as a temporary blip and then go back to the way things are is really naive. Like you said, the shift was already there. Okay. And, and the organizations that were investing in buyer enablement rather than sales enablement were the ones who were coming out on top. And so I get the, you know, everything's been shaken and we want to go back to the way things were, but, and and this also applies to recruiting. I've got a lot of clients in recruiting and, and candidates were demanding a better experience and buyers are demanding more from sellers and they're demanding things on their terms. And, even though we're seeing, you know, the economic shift and the, the balance of power in some ways is different, that anticipation and that expectation for a positive buyer experience, a positive candidate experience, whatever the case may be, that's going to remain. And people are going to continue to expect the best from companies. So you're, you're setting yourself up for a major disappointment if you aren't meeting customers where they're at. I mean, again, certainly, you know, you have your uncertainty and you want to go back to the way things are in your comfort zone. 
But again, try to put your head, put yourself in the buyer's head and their uncertainty is there. They're counting on you to ease their anxiety. And again, it's just so short-sighted and and companies are just so nervous. They want to get through this. They want to get away from new normal, just get back to normal. That's not how it works. And they're not structured that way. I think one of my favorite examples of this is as Home Depot or use your any home improvement store you know, one of their features or services now is you you buy it and they load in your car when you drive by. Guess what? When this is over, I still want them to do that, right? right? I don't want to go the in. Hassle. Yes. Are they going to go back to the old way and make me go in and buy it through the checkout or are they still going to have the ability to have somebody come out? So I think to your point, certain companies have adapted, but we'll see if they maintain it once once it goes. Hopefully they do. I mean, I think that's there's some real opportunity in that. So. Exactly. I mean, it's tremendous opportunity and I don't know enough about the numbers, but I'd be curious how much it impacts the bottom line when it comes to labor and spend. And I just can't imagine that. I mean, I personally hate going to the store. Yeah, 100%. I've been Prime for years. And so make it easier for me. Add like Instacart is another one. I mean, they have the early labor issues, but their the UX on their app has been really tremendous. Their customer service is improved. I've had issues with them in the past, but they've made it easier. And and a lot of those delivery services, they were struggling. You you would have to log in 20 times a day to try to get a delivery time. Or at least I did. I was like on that. Yeah. And now you can pick pretty much any time. So my hope is that they continue to see the, the potential in investing in that. I mean, we don't know when this is going away. And we don't no. know how people are permanently going to be a- away from, you know, we, maybe we can go back to the store without a mask. Maybe we can go to a sporting event someday. But are people going to, people are still going to weigh when it's worth their time, or effort or risk yeah. to go out. And so who really enjoys going to stores to pick up bug spray or like, just make it simple. Yeah. That applies perfectly to, I know we used a B2C example, but the B2B yeah, but it does. hundred percent. Yes. And I think we used to take that for granted that, well, it's different, right? It's a business buyer there, but it's not yeah. <laughs> right. And so as we kind of fast forward, you know, one of the things it was funny. I've definitely been a believer in, in content marketing and it's no longer a buzzword and it's got to be one of your core pillars. Even early on, you've got to invest in building the content. So before I go too far down, I want your expert opinion, you know, on how do, how should founders be thinking about content? I know it's well, we're just starting, you know, I'm hustling my sales, but, and the online and the content portion, seems to be a critical piece. So I'd love to get your perspective on that. Yeah. I mean, and especially in B2B, when you're the new guy on the block, whether you have 20 years of experience in your field or not, you're going to need to prove your mettle. You're going to need to show off. So from that literal standpoint, and people are vetting you and they're coming to your website and they're seeing who you are, even when you're doing that, the, if you're saying I'm focusing entirely on outbound, they're still going to come and they're going to vet you. They're going to look at your social profiles. They're going to look at your website and they're going to see that you know what you're talking about. And so you want to meet that need and you want to showcase your best. And I mean, like you said, everything's digital right now and potentially for the foreseeable future. So you need to make sure that your digital storefront, for lack of a better word, is is up to par and is showcasing what you bring to the table. So that's like one component of it in this weird now that we're in. The second, and most people generally know this, I think by now in the conversations that I've had, but 
the earlier you start when it comes to putting out valuable content, the more credibility and value you get from Google. So it's really a snowball effect. So starting content from day one or as early in that process as you can means that that, that blog post or that longer pillar piece that you wrote in 2020 is still driving leads for you in 2023, 2025 possibly longer. And everything's working together to create a better, stronger presence for you and driving those inbound leads. Or again, at the very least, nurturing your outbound efforts. Another component of that is when we look at right now and these companies that are just trying to survive, by investing and creating that content now, you're solving problems. Again, we talked about this. People are spending. They're spending right now. People still need, in all likelihood, what you have to offer. So getting into that buyer enablement piece, let's make it easy for them, solve their problems through content, share and promote on social because it does take time to generate inbound leads through content, but more people are on social than ever. We already talked about this. Use your content to fuel your social efforts, solve problems, be be the leader in your space and build that trust. And, and the leads that you generate from that combined effort with your content is what's going to help keep you, part of what's going to help keep you afloat. Yeah, I think that's such such a good point and so valuable that I used to fall into the trap not that long ago, right? And I can't give away all my good stuff because then people won't buy, but I think it's, and I don't have the data behind me, but talking to people like you and others that overwhelmingly the brands and the people that provide the valuable insight and say, hey, this is how you solve this problem you're trying to solve. We're here to help you if you need it. But you know, here's, they have so much more success than the folks that don't provide that or one of my pet peeves is still the the features and benefits approach, right? And you know, maybe we could we can transition this a little bit. Is you know, and you know me by now. I'm super simplistic in the way I approach. You know, what problems are you solving for the customer? How do you do it? How do you do it differently? And whatever your folks on the phone or in person are saying, better be consistent with what they see when they get to the website. So. Are you seeing that as still a big gap with I've seen definitely with enterprise it's a huge gap, but I'm curious from your perspective and some of the clients, are they starting to close that gap a little bit to tell a more cohesive story? Yeah. And, and you know it's funny because you know you focus on the features and benefits and and I mean this with all due respect, but especially in B2B, but really everywhere, at the end of the day, what you have to offer is probably 99% similar to what your competition is offering. Right. And so the difference is in the relationship and the value that you can add. And, and you have that opportunity to do that throughout the sales, throughout the life cycle by, by creating that content. I mean, and, and yeah, so this is another problem that I've seen and, and I've had clients bring me in and they say, okay, we want to, we want to do this with our content, but then on the, they're wondering why it's not working. And right. again, they can for that. But then there's this disconnect between the conversations and the reality of what it's like to interact with them versus what they're projecting through their content. And so, yes, I think you are starting to see them. And, and it takes a savvy marketer and particularly a savvy writer to be able to get to the heart of who you are and make sure that that content is authentic. And it's not always an internal resource. It's not always an internal marketing department. Sometimes it takes someone coming in from the outside to say, hey, I know that you're going for X, but what you're really giving off is why. And is that what you want? And if not, like, let's make sure that marketing is working together with customer experience and sales so that is a solid strategic component that everything's working together and consistent because that disconnect is very, even if someone, if someone's not a savvy buyer and they, they can't put their finger on it, they can right. feel it. And, and that that's really difficult. But also to your point about being afraid of giving away your best stuff, you know, 
you would think as a marketer that I would be the first one to like sign up for things and and do all the lead gen and complete all the forms, but I am actually very picky about where I give my email address and what I want to download. And you're seeing a trend among marketers to give away 90% of it and save the gates, the, the forms and the, and the email drips and all that good stuff for the best of the best of the best. And so you think about this, if I'm giving away 90% of the really good stuff with no expectation whatsoever, you look at this podcast, look at how much value are you giving away with this podcast? I'm giving that away. And then I'm giving away the really great stuff. And I'm, all I'm asking you for is your email address. And oh, by the way, I'm going to send you three or four emails with more value. And if you want to buy, I'll, I'll ask you in the end. Then, so you've given away 99% of it. And I'm thinking, wow, you've helped me make my business better. If I'm going to hire you and you've already done so much for me for free, I know that the stuff's going to get really good and I'm going to have an exceptional experience because you've done so much for me with little to no expectation, being upright, being, you know, very clear from the start. Okay, here's what I'm going to give you. And here's what you're going to get from us. You know, none of this like, oh, sign up for this. And then I send you 10, you know, emails, a huge campaign and I bombard you. And this is why people are loath to give away their email address right. anymore. So give away all the great stuff. And then they know that if they work with you, they're going to be treated like gold. And then make sure that you can follow up on that. And, and also, most of the people, you tell them how to do it. And again, this is no disrespect, but they're too busy or they don't have the resources. You can tell them how to do it. There's still many people are still going to need you to do it. And those who don't and who go ahead and do it are going to rave about you to someone else. Yeah. Like, there's literally no loss to that. Just investing and giving away your best. No, no bait and switch. No, here's why this is important, but you have to hire me if you want to know how. Like none of that shady stuff that was so popular in, in digital and content for so long. Yeah, There's a major shift. Doesn't work anymore. 100% agree with that. And, you know, I think too, to your point that if you don't want to give away the good stuff, the do-it-yourselfer is going to do it themselves regardless of whether you're helping or not. So you might as well help. And, you know, that's a good kind of a, segue into kind of a broader question with with content and you know one of the things i've been working on to go back to my super simplistic right because one of the my aha moments that's come since i've rebranded the podcast and interview founders that have you know have got past the 10 million dollar mark you know we used to talk about the million dollars being kind of the arbitrary you know, why can't only 5% get there? And after interviews, I really found that the blocker for all these companies was selling beyond their network, right? So the bigger their network, the more revenue they generated, but then they all stalled once they had to reach new people. So one of the things that I've been working on and I haven't shared with you yet even is as we look at kind of a, again, my simplistic, look at the grid, right? There's kind of, there's four quadrants. There's people that know you and know they have a problem. There's people that know you don't know they have a problem. And then there's people that know, don't know you don't know they have a problem, right? So there's kind of the, the four. And I see everybody take a unilateral approach to all four of those buckets, right? And you know, thinking about it from a strategic standpoint, I think a lot of companies use outbound SDRs to go get you know, they don't know you, don't know they have a problem, and it's just an uphill battle. So, yes, love to get your your thoughts on how to how to approach your your prospects, if you will. 
Yeah, I mean, and then this is going to be different for not nearly every vertical, but you know, it's going to yeah. be different for everybody. But I mean, even I found this in the, my early days of consulting back in 2011, and I would spend so much of my time trying to convince people that they needed my help. And then I realized what a futile, there are plenty of people out there who understand they have a problem. And so personally, right now, if we're looking at the immediate future, you want to reach those people who know that they have problems. Certainly you want to fill your funnel with everyone at every stage, but the low hanging fruit for content is solving problems for people who know they have a problem making their lives easier. And so if I had limited resources and, and time right now, that's where I would go, obviously. And, and you're going to reach those people. These people are out and they're looking digitally for that help. So you're going to want to reach them on social and you're going to want to have the content to back it up. And, and once you, you do that and you're having the right conversations with people, and, and you, this is, I know we're talking about content from the you know, ebook blog standpoint, but I can't stress enough how important it is to be active on LinkedIn right now. And if you're nervous about what to post, that's one thing and that's fine, but you can get over that hump very easily by just starting to post, you know this. But just having conversations on other people's content, you start to grow confident in your own abilities. And the conversations that you would be having with a prospect in person, you can have those on LinkedIn and they're just conversations and you're providing that value and it really helps. I mean, this is how you're going to get in front of people. People, there are many people who are looking for what you have to sell right now. And you just yeah. have to put yourself in the right places with the right message to, to reach them. And I think that's a good point. And I was kind of leaning that way, but then you reinforced it that... And again, I see a lot of companies going after really hard, the buyers of the people that don't know they have a problem. I mean, there's an education process to go through, but you know, it's going to take time and you should make that investment. That's a long tail investment course, in yeah. those. But if you can find, maximize the people that know you know they have a problem, you better be able to sell to every one of those, those folks, but identify and prioritize. But then I'd like the, know they have a problem, they're trying to solve it. How do you get awareness of your brand in there? And by the way, do not cold, do not pitch to close on your first email with them, right? You just want them to become aware that you solved this problem. You may do it a little bit different than at least somebody else. At least create the awareness, then get them into interest with you versus trying to go for the the best analogy I've heard is from between sales and, and marketing or marketing generated lead, you know, you ask somebody out, it's like a dating analogy, right? We're going out for a cup of coffee. You set up the date for coffee with the sales rep and the, the prospect sales rep gets there and asks them to get married, right? <laughs> there is no, Hey, yeah, we're a good fit. Maybe we could, you know, take the next step if you will, and, and go out again, or those type of things. Again, it's super simple analogy, but so many companies, miss and waste, you know, marketing dollars that are, you know, can be scarce in, in some cases. So yeah. And when you're when you're keeping that the long tail, when you're going for those people who don't know they have a problem, that takes considerable work and effort to make sure that you're creating the content and you are getting into their heads so that you are getting on their radar and solving issues for them, even if they don't realize that the bigger so you might be a well, you could be a, a marketer and the problem is that they don't know, they don't think they need marketing help because they're just getting started, you know, they don't know. And so you have to convince them what are the other problems that they're having now that marketing touches that they don't realize. And so you have to really do your research and get into the heads. You know, if you haven't done the persona work and, and some of that back end stuff to really, I know you preach this, understanding your customers' problems, all of them. Yeah. Because 
for me as a marketer, I mean, that would make it easy because pretty much marketing is going to touch all of those, but then you need to make sure to create content and get a message out there and work that into, you know, your, your overall marketing strategy to reach them where they are and help lead them and kind of hold their hand by, by helping them with other issues and showing them that that ties to marketing and how marketing can impact the rest of their business. But like you said, it's a long tail investment. You need to really understand and map that out because if you're just shooting from the hip and talking about whatever you think is important, then those are the companies that when you have the conversation and they think, well, digital didn't work for me or social didn't work for me. Blogging didn't work for me. Well, tell me more about that. And, and most of the time it's because they wrote about what they thought was important rather than what their prospective customers needed to hear. You know, I think when we're talking about the B2B companies that are scaling, right, want to get from the one or two a million dollars into 10 million, they can't afford to the long tail, right? They need to be thinking about it. And as you're building your content strategy to have so you can start start when they start to understand there is a problem, you'll be the go-to person for that. But if you're looking to maximize dollars, you know, understand what's out there and how you're going to get them. And this is still the number one question I get from first-time founders or not even first time, but B2B and I'm looking to grow a business. Well, we've had some success now. I think I'm going to hire my first salesperson. And again, I came from sales originally, so it's still at my heart, but I'm like, probably not the best idea, right? It goes back to how do you get your message digitally? So when people know they're having a problem, they're searching, do you come up? And I just think that's, I don't know why that's such been a difficult concept, but I think back to our original point of the opportunity for smaller and more agile businesses to tell the right story. This, this is one of them, right? Yep. Yep. And it, and I know I keep coming back to LinkedIn, but there's just so yeah. much there. When you look at the the thought leaders who are emerging right now, there are people from companies you've probably never heard of, but now you recognize them. And that's where these are the people who are really stepping up in, in these startups who are in the right place and they understand who they are and what they need to distill in order to get to generate leads and get actual results from LinkedIn. And they're doing it phenomenally well. And yet, and I preach this in my own content, you don't have to be like these people. You don't have to invest in posting five times a day in order to do that. Anyone can do that. And, and, it, and it really needs to come. I mean, sales team is part of it, but you know, leadership and members of your team, every single person, you know, again, these are like kind of overworn stereotypes, but everyone in your company right now is a salesperson right. when it comes to LinkedIn. And so there should be some kind of allocation to invest in ensuring that people have valuable content to share there. And it's not about hacks or tricking algorithms. It's simply about generating consistent value and portraying your startup as a, a leader in the space, no matter where you are in your journey. Yeah, no, and it makes sense. And you no, know, I love the fact you keep going back to LinkedIn. I'm obviously a huge advocate. And I had somebody on the show, Anthony Blattner, maybe six weeks ago, and he's got a, an entire agency basically built on paid LinkedIn ads. And what I found interesting through that conversation, obviously they do other stuff with organic, but how super targeted you can get with LinkedIn paid. And which comes back to, I think, our other point of, hey, if you're going after people that have a problem or a known problem, you know, don't try to sell those folks, but hit them with a ebook or something along those lines that, that help. And that was one of the first folks that I've actually heard that was actually kind of solving, how do I sell beyond my network without cold calling into or relying 100% on organic SEO to drive back to my website. So... Because yeah. if you're going to get that ebook, make sure that it's not like one page of advice someone can get anywhere else and then eight pages of why you're great and they should buy whatever you're selling. And it has to be truly give away that solution because 
it takes a lot for someone to download an ebook nowadays. I mean, I've downloaded dozens of ebooks and I've probably read a handful of them. Most of them are total crap. I'm sorry. <laughs> they just are. And so make sure it's good and get yourself to that point. You know, make sure that every interaction with your brand, whether it's an individual person on LinkedIn or it's a company post, make sure that they're all quality and that the expectation of anything that comes from you is quality because once you burn that trust so maybe you wrote a phenomenal ebook and then your sales rep goes on and is one of these much maligned individuals who either in their connection request or in the immediate message tries to sell you right uh, you've lost all that trust. You've lost all that value. They're unlikely to look at your ebook because you've already shown that you're slimy. It's even getting to a point where if the messaging is different, they lose confidence in your brand and your brand could be three people. But if your online and offline is communicating very different things, they're going to say, what do they really, really mean? Right? Yeah. I've been having a lot of conversations about authenticity lately. And what does that mean? And and there's a lot of people trying to be like Gary V or like one of these uh, influencers. And, and I've had a really constructive conversations about what it means to be you. And, and generally the feeling should be, if I'm talking to you and we're in a meeting, they should feel the same way if I'm interacting with you online. And then when I do business with you, you should treat me the same way that you've treated me when we have these conversations. It sounds ridiculously elementary. And yet so many organizations fail or really drop the ball when it comes to this. We're coming into a time, we're in a time economically where those relationships that you hung on to just because it was convenient, even though that ball was dropped. I mean, there's plenty of people who still sell and they still have business, yeah. but those then become commoditized and they, they're the first ones to go when the budget has to constrict and when people need to make changes. And so there's just so many levels of where that consistency and authenticity and value, where all of these tenets that we talk about, these pillars, where they come into play. And so you shortchange one of them, you could have the dominoes fall. And again, I need to distill it down to something that's so basic, but it really is. When you start with those fundamentals and you, you instill them in everything you do, you're going to get results. You're going to be successful, but you just, you have to stick with it. It has to be part of your culture and who you are. Yeah, just build it into the DNA early, 100% agree. And maybe transitioning along those lines a little bit, you know, one of the, the slogans I've been using, I can't take credit for it, I'm not sure where I heard it from, is, you know, treat your customers like prospects and your prospects like customers. And it really, if you think of it that way, especially if you've been in the industry for a while, it's just, just like, that's dumb. But then when you break down, you're like, that's interesting. I was actually had a conversation with a true chief revenue officer of a, a larger company, high growth company. And she actually had a responsibility for sales, marketing and customer success. And she's like, you know, it's a good point. We've had some customers for five years that probably haven't heard from us or have no idea what we even offer her app to sell. I mean, we have customer success people that work with them, but nothing, they're not marketing or messaging to that entire life cycle. So yeah, to me, I think that's still an untapped, I don't see very many companies that do that or at least do it very well. It's funny how much companies spend on new lead acquisition. And again, I keep bringing it back to recruiting, but it's really top of yeah. mind for me, new candidate acquisition. And yet you have thousands tens of thousands potentially in your database and you're doing nothing with them. So what re-engaging, and again, it can come back to content and the value in that and just touching base and saying, hey, we haven't talked in a while. Are you still interested in X because we just created this? Or, you know, you were dealing with this problem a few years ago. Is this still a problem? Or we're, we're finding a lot of people who had a similar situation as you are now struggling with why. We can help reopening these conversations and re-engaging these dormant prospects. So like you said, current customers, 
And we're sitting, it's funny, it's like almost like the blessing and the curse of, of data and, and all of this immense knowledge that we have. We're so focused on what's right in front of us and you need to allocate some of these resources to tap into what you already have. And certainly now more than ever with resources scarce and scarce and people struggling, taking advantage of the people who already have that familiarity with you is is the low-hanging fruit for sure. Yeah, 100%. And that could be a whole nother topic or another podcast episode. We get into the data because I'm 100% behind you with that. And I know we're starting to run short on time, which I can't believe it's flown by this quick, but I'm not surprised. So I know we've covered a lot and I think there was a lot of really good insights and value, but let's circle it back to the founder that's you know either just started starting to grow. What are the top two or three things that they should do today or start thinking about whether it's planning or approach to try to get this a plan in place, if you will. Essentially, this is going to feed into a lot of what you already recommend for startups, but you need to get into your prospective customers' heads and create those personas and really get a deep understanding of the problems that you're solving, that you know you're solving, or that you're even touching upon that maybe you didn't know. You really just the psychological elements of this are really key. And then it's identifying, you know, your your short and long-term goals so that you can prioritize accordingly the resources that you're going to apply to content. So, like what we talked about right now, you might want to apply a significant chunk of that to the people who know they have a problem and, you know, primarily maybe some who have brand awareness for a startup, it's going to be a little bit harder and maybe those who don't, but, and then just kind of allocating that. And if you need help with that, you know, bring in a consultant, bring in somebody to help you and take that, that big picture and, and see how that aligns with where you are in your business strategy. I do not own stock there in Microsoft, but is to develop a, a plan for LinkedIn. Don't just go in and post every day, but develop a plan and who's going to be posting and what you want them to post and make sure... I mean, I'll say that until you get a strategy in place, go ahead and go in and post. Get active, comment and add value and and get a feeling for the the marketplace there because so many people still have this kind of antiquated notion of what LinkedIn is. Uh, but then make sure that it plays a, a really large part in your strategy moving forward because again, to get through and survive this these times that we're in right now, you're going to need to be actively posting and leveraging the content that you're creating. Yeah. And so th- th- those are the first things out of the gate that you really need to do. That psychological element of your customers, allocating and devising the kind of content that you're going to start posting right away and making sure that you have a social platform to share tremendously with. I mean, you know, the other platforms, Twitter's got value, but unless you have someone sitting on there all day to make a convert, you know, to engage in conversation, right. you're you're just kind of like throwing stuff out there and it's more of a PR piece. And some people have resources or maybe you can hire someone, but most companies, when you're starting, you're not going to have the resources for that. Facebook is what Facebook is. Certainly, it's still a behemoth and people are still finding success there, but their users are skewing older. And certainly, there's a lot of ethical quandaries and issues that people have with it. But right now, I, LinkedIn, for sure, and certainly with different verticals and TikTok has its issues, but Instagram yeah. as well. But I'm going to say right now, if you're going to put your energy into one thing, put it into LinkedIn. Especially in the early days when you're growing, especially B2B. I mean, it is. And the other thing I'd add to that would be to you know look to see what your ideal clients are posting and who the buyers yes. are and engage and provide value. Do not sell. Right? Yeah. Don't make it about you. Make it about the client and saying, hey, we've seen this before. Have you tried X, Y, or Z or those types of things? And and build that credibility. And it doesn't have to be your own post. Engage with with folks that 
are in that space. So that's a great first step for people who are uncomfortable posting on LinkedIn is just to go in and hop into conversations and add value. You do that and then over enough time and you can build a strategy and to then reach out and say, hey, we keep bumping into each other here on LinkedIn. I'd love an intro call so you can tell me more about your business. And that's going to lead somewhere. Like there's just these little steps. Do it right. the right way. You will have these conversations. And don't be afraid to, I think to your point too, use a third party consultant. There's, you know, I'm not a writer by nature. And so you know, you've been kind enough to assist me with some of that writing and you can get more comfortable with it. And again, if you're going to outsource your dollars, especially in the early days, content is the foundation. So yeah, if you're not comfortable, and, then find somebody to help you because it is going to be critical to your growth. Yeah. And experiences really vary there. I've seen a lot, ironically, I've seen a lot of posts about people who have outsourced that and they, they had miserable experience. And so, and I'm not saying this just to, to promote myself, but the, the issue is you get what you pay for. Right. And so there are some freelancers or consultants or however you want to phrase it, who they're trying to get things done the quickest because they want to get as many clients as possible and increase their hourly rate. And then there are others who become a part of your team. And so just make sure that you're really vetting to get a feeling for what someone is going to bring to your company how they view themselves within your company as a part of your team, an extension of your team. It's really important. But yeah, definitely don't be afraid to bring in someone from the outside. Sometimes just poking holes in things and asking the right questions can help you see things in a completely different and better way. Yeah. And my other only other advice with that is if you're going to work with somebody that's going to help you with content or writer, doesn't have to come from the B2B space, but it's very helpful <laughs> that they they understand because there's some really good writers, but if they don't understand and B2B can get very nuanced. And I'm, again, I'm not a big, you know, my snowflake is different type of approach, but understanding the nuance and how you're writing for it and knowing that there's multiple buyers and users is an important piece. You can teach and train it if it's a good writer, but there are, like you said, you know, folks like yourself and some others that do have that that background. So again, just trying to accelerate your learning curves. Yeah, and that's why yeah. No, for sure. And don't be afraid to hire someone who doesn't have experience directly in your vertical, especially when you think about your target customers, we want to distill this information as simply and easily digestible as possible. And so a good writer is going to ask the right questions to get in the head and understand and be able to take what you do and distill that into those digestible bits that, that are going to drive action. And so, yeah, just uh, don't be afraid to have those conversations and learn more about what it's like to bring in an outside resource, because I think some sometimes that model of freelancer, right? You know, it, that traditional model is a little off-putting and it's just not how it is when you're working with a professional nowadays. Yeah. 100%, 100%. All right. Before I get to my last closing question, so what's next for you? What's coming up here in the next few months that you're working on? So, well, hopefully I'll get to leave the house soon, but, um, <laughs> but I'm working on uh, my own show as a mom of a toddler who returned to the, to the workplace a few years ago. I'm launching a show called Moms Who Lead for appropriately for leaders and organizations who are balancing work and home and, and how they're supercharged and how their organizations are supporting working moms and working parents as well. So really excited. Hopefully late Q3, early Q4. Okay. That'd be awesome. We'll have to get you back on once you launch that. I think it's a great idea. And again, timely. I know you're working on this before the, the world changes here, but you know it's, it's timely. So I think that's going to do... Very well. And my last question is, what is one thing, you know, professional or personal that you would highly recommend? Yeah, well, I have transformed how I use email. I sound like I I'm work for Basecamp, but I don't. I don't know. Have you heard of Hey? It's a new email platform from Basecamp. And it is 
the anti-Gmail, I've become not like tinfoil hat, but I've been really careful about the data that I share. Yeah. So I've been using DuckDuckGo for my browser and Hey is Basecamp inspired. They don't have company email yet, but as soon as they do, I'm going to be investing in it and it, it's paid and it filters out everything. It, it has much more nuanced and organic ways of organizing the email that you use and screening senders and, you know, disabling bots and trackers. And it's completely changed how I use email. It's very awesome. It's like $99 for the year, super cheap. And I did hear the founder talking about that and it sounded phenomenal, but right now, so if it was going to use it, it's really just personal use or can you link it to a business account or? Yeah. yeah. And so okay. I'm just using it for personal email and I'm getting a feeler for it because I'm on G suite right now and I'm ready to make the leap. Okay. Interesting. That's awesome advice. First person that's recommended that. So I know we're all looking to be more efficient and, and we do care about the privacy. So that's awesome. And if anybody wants to learn more about you, best ways, I'm guessing LinkedIn is going to be one of the places where, where can people find you? Yeah, linkedin.com slash in. I know there's a couple of Diana Mitchells floating around more than a couple slash Diana Mitchell 716. My website is dianamitchell.net, but it's pers- purposefully very minimal. So there's not much excitement going on there. Just connect with me on LinkedIn. And yeah, I'd love to, to see your content and comment. And if you ever want me to shoot you a few tips and reminders, I'm happy to do that as well. That's awesome. Or I wonder if you could type in Diana Mitchell, Oprah, and see if you come up. <laughs> Or Arnold. <laughs> Diana, thank you so much for joining us today. There was so much value. We'll have to bring this on for part two once we start. To, you know, it's funny we never even really touched on the the pandemic other than early on because again, what we're talking about is is foundational stuff. So not hacks, right? No Just hacks. A way to look at this going forward. So thank you. Enjoy the rest of your day, and we'll catch back up with you here in a few months. You too, Brad. Thanks. Right, thanks, Diana. Take care.